Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. Welcome back or welcome for the first time. This is the second week in our three-week mini-series on what in the world is next for us as a local church. All of us that belong, love, assigned, committed to Sanctus Church know that things just aren't the same. And they're not going to be the same as what we used to know. And I think there's a word we're all just using, honestly, in humility. It's the word rebuilding. I mean, we're all thinking uh, it, uh, what's going to stay the same and what's going to be different and what's going to be paused and what will be shelved and what will be new. All these words, rebuilding, repurposing, repositioning, relaunching. Our church, like every other church in Durham and in the GTA and in Canada and actually around the world, is just trying to find its way in this new moment. Now, last week, I don't know if you were with us, I really think we had a profound experience across our church. I've heard about this from many people. Uh, And we talked about church-wide expectations. If you weren't with us, I'm going to summarize, but I'd love you to go back. I shared this. If there is a small time period in the scriptures that feel like an outline and inform and define what the next ministry run for our church is going to look like, what it's going to feel like, it's that small time period right after the profound Easter event. Between Jesus' physical resurrection and his ascension, there's 40 days. Then after Jesus went to heaven, there's another 10 days, and then Pentecost takes place, and the Holy Spirit's poured out, the church is born, and everything changes. 50 days, just under two months. And, And it's this small window, in my opinion, is the best and most honest picture of where we are as a local church right now, and actually where we're going to be for a while. It's full of question, transition, hope, rebuilding, redefinition, but it's still difficult. Now, I pointed this out last week. Let me do it again. There are five things that we see in those 50 period, the 50-day period that actually changed everything. Here's what Jesus did. First thing, Jesus personally restored all of his, all of his followers, gave them hope. Second, Jesus restored, recommissioned, and replaced his leaders. Third, Jesus works really hard so people know what the real message of the kingdom is. Oh, and actually what it's not, because he knew we'd be tempted to believe again in wrong things in this new moment. Fourth, uh, interestingly, he gave partial Holy Spirit empowerment to rebuild. And lastly, he reaffirmed his promises given before his death. Now, this should form our expectation, not just for the summer, Probably not just for the next ministry year, but probably even a little beyond that. Okay, that's last week. Now, next week, Sam and I are going to gather and talk to you about what this is going to mean on the ground. What's new, what's no longer going to be, what will change, uh, what will adapt. And again, the, the posture is humble and open and flexible and adaptable. Making sure that we're caring and supporting the many that are still among us. And yet at the same time, moving forward and working that balance out in this new period. Now, today, I want to move beyond the moment we're in. And I want to remind us, or maybe for the first time tell you, who we are as a church and what we still want our future to look like beyond this season and no matter the situation or season. So we sort of almost need to rise above this moment to again see what our true north is. Let me do what I do every single year. And again, I'm going to beg you, especially if you've been in this church for a while, if you're watching at home, 
don't turn off the iPad, please. And if you're watching in online some at another time where you're actually in a physical location, please don't tune out, tune out. Like this really matters. Why does Sanctus Church exist? Why do we do everything we do? Why does every local church on earth exist? Well, we've summarized it in our mission statement like this. Uh, we exist to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why we do what we do. And every year I ask this question, what do you mean by fully devoted? And then what do you mean by disciple? And I always say, well, the original word for us was not Christian, it was disciple. Disciple is now a churchy word. And so we need to reclaim what disciple originally meant. And every year, unashamed, I quote this guy named Ray Vanderland, who really helps us understand the Jewish view of discipleship. And when we get that, it really brings a lot home. He simply writes, like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely they'd start to think like their rabbi and act like their rabbi. They were devout followers, probably in their mid-teens. Gifted students would approach the rabbi and ask, may I follow you? In effect saying, do I have what it takes, listen to this, to be like you? The rabbi would either accept the student as a disciple or send him away to pursue a trade. Now Jesus, many of you have heard this, broke this pattern when he chose his own disciples. So he asks disciples to come follow him. And they knew without a doubt that the rabbi now already believed in them. A disciple would follow a rabbi everywhere, often without even knowing or asking, where are we going? They would rarely leave the rabbi's side. They, they would never want to miss that teachable moment. Now, let me say this again. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely, they'd start to think like the rabbi and act like the rabbi. To think like the rabbi and act like the rabbi. Or, as Ray Vanderland said in another place, they followed so closely they wanted to be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Okay, I just need everyone to stop. Okay, everyone stop. Take a look at the... Hi. Okay. Let me ask you a personal question. And this is for you who are Christians among us. Over the last three years, as you reflect, do you now look more like Jesus today than you did two or three years ago? Here's another question. Do you think more like Jesus today, like you did, more than you did a few years ago? And here's actually even the more important question. Are you intentionally around Jesus anymore? Over the last few years, let's just, again, have the honest moment. Lots of fear. Lots of lockdowns. We've got new digital access. We've got work from home. We've got online church. And many of us have just deeply adjusted our lives to these new rhythms. But between fear and apathy, right, and accessibility, many of us are actually no longer thinking intentionally about placing ourselves where Jesus is to be found. How can you be like Jesus, think like Jesus, be covered in his dust if you're not around him? We've taught this here for years, but I want to do it again. Remember, there are guaranteed places of encounter between God and his people in the scriptures. We talk about them all the time here. I think I shared this last September. Though God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere, there are places, according to the Bible, that God comes close and can be encountered. This is how you walk, think, and get covered in Jesus' dust. Size of church? Doesn't matter. Who's more gifted? Doesn't matter. Who's got the money? Doesn't matter. Man or woman? Doesn't matter. 
Ethnic history doesn't matter. How I'm feeling today doesn't matter. Season of my life doesn't matter. World situation does not matter. It does not change the truth of this environment or these environments. So let me just do this again. The first guaranteed place of encounter is actually the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for, first for Jews, then non-Jews. And the word power is where we get our word dynamite from. It is the environment where the Holy Spirit brings all of God the Father's work and all of Jesus' work past, present, future, into a person's life. In other words, the Holy Spirit is always around, above, below, present when the gospel is given. It doesn't matter if people accept Jesus or not. When you share the good news of Jesus, you're not alone. Jesus by his spirit is in the room. This is how you get covered with the dust of Jesus. The second place of guaranteed encounter is scripture. I mean, the Bible is always a guaranteed place of encounter between God and his people. Paul wrote it like this in 2 Timothy 3.16. God, uh, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit is always about leading us into God's truth, the holy faith passed down. And again, where are Jesus' teachings found? Where are God's stories found? Where are God's thoughts found? Where are his revelation, commands, and promises found? Where is what we call the apostolic teaching? In the Bible, the written word of God. If you want to be around Jesus, think like Jesus and act like Jesus, you got to spend time in his word. The third guaranteed place of encounter, spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, as we say here, are the only ongoing place of transformation after you meet God through Jesus. Holy habits keep the relationship healthy, right, balanced after you say yes. Jesus used these to walk with the Father. In other words, to be like Jesus, we have to walk like Jesus did and share in his lifestyle. Simplicity, confession of sin, prayer, fasting, solitude, silence, studying of God's word, now, we did a whole series on this. I think it was 10 weeks back in 2020. That could be really helpful. But this is how we think like Jesus, and this is how we act like Jesus. That fourth area, that guaranteed place of, or environment is spiritual gifts. Why? Spiritual gifts are the only ongoing guaranteed place of heaven given power to do God's work. Jesus used spiritual gifts. And since we, Paul calls us the body of Christ together, we have the same gifts that he used. And to imitate Jesus, to act like Jesus, to be near Jesus, we need to use spiritual gifts. If Jesus' spirit is not in the room, the gifts are not in the room. We did a whole series on that in 2019. You can go back and listen to that. This is how we're around him. Another guaranteed place of encounter is gathered worship. When we sing in community, we enter into God's holy presence with all the angels and the global church and all those who have already died. What does it teach in Psalm 22? You're a holy God. You inhabit the praises of your people. James says if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Uh, and why? Because Paul teaches that human beings as Christians, Christian, we're, just, we're the temple of God. What did Jesus say? For where two or three gather in my name... I am with them. I am there. I'm there. Another guaranteed place of encounter we talk about here is communion. Do we believe Jesus is in the elements? No. Breaking of bread, communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, it's multifaceted, of course. It's a place of remembrance. We stop and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yes. But it's not just remembrance. Like we say around here all the time, it's also 
communion. Think about the word, to commune, to be with. So when you take communion, you're with others and you're with Jesus. We're not called to be alone. It's not good to be alone. And the meal is hosted by Jesus. The bread and juice don't turn into Jesus. They're symbols that focus our attention. But let me tell you, Jesus is in the room every time it's served. Also, communion is that place of forgiveness. I've, I've taught this for years, and I love this. Every single time we take communion, we're actually invited to confess our sins. But more than that, we are reminded that Jesus eats with sinners, and his mercies are new every morning. Then there's water baptism. Do we believe that you get the Holy Spirit when you get dunked or get saved by baptism? No. Do we believe that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is unbelievably present in that environment when someone goes public with their faith? Oh, yes. It's like the vows. I've said this for years. Like, baptism is like my wedding ring. Uh, if I lose this, I might die because of my wife. But, but this doesn't make me married. My vows make me married. But this is the public external statement. I'm off the market. I am given to my wife, Joanna. Baptism is what? It is the outward declaration of the inward work. And so the groom is always present when the bride is about to take vows. That's what's happening in baptism. And again, think about these last words that Jesus said in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Oh, right. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the last one, always difficult but important, is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes we need real clarity about what that means and what it doesn't. One of the most common ways we as Christians suffer for the sake of the gospel is actually when we say no to what we want. In other words, we have loves, multiple loves. We love all sorts of things. But some of those things that we love, that we desire, that we lean towards, that we want, the Bible actually calls sin. And so when we actually say my love for Jesus is going to be stronger than my love for that thing, that lifestyle, that idea, that expression, that desire, that's where we begin to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's what Jesus said, I, I take up my cross and I follow him or I crucify my flesh. That's suffering for Jesus. And not only that, also when you're mocked or marginalized or attacked for your Christian walk and belief, that's suffering too. And those environments are a, places, a place of guaranteed encounter. I mean, Peter put it quite simply when he said in 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called, every Christian, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Suffering is part of the average Christian life, not the epic Christian life. And Paul, at the end of his life, puts it like this in Philippians 3.10, man, I, I want to know Christ. Yeah, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, so somehow I can attain the resurrection from the dead. So let me just do this quick. Uh, the giving of the gospel, the reading of scripture, which, by the way, is alive, spiritual disciplines, spiritual gifts, gathered worship, communion, baptism, suffering for Jesus. Salvation's not earned by any of this. God doesn't lean down and go, wow, I'd have to really pay attention because they're doing those things. No, no, this, this is just the things that strengthen, encourage, give space for the Holy Spirit to encourage, rebuke, correct, and help us. It's in those environments where the Holy Spirit takes us to Jesus and Jesus takes us to the Father. Let me put it like this. This is how we, we choose intentionally to walk with Jesus, think like Jesus, and get covered in his dust. To be like him and be with him. So I'm just going to stop and ask you this again. 
in your new rhythms, in this post-COVID world, if these are the guaranteed places of encounter and they don't change, COVID or no COVID, online or non-online, am I even there on a regular basis? Like, am I even there? Have these become less priority in this new world? If they have, you will not become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. A plus B actually equals C. Notice, in every one of the things I've just said, there's a personal connection to this, but almost all of them are communal with others. Okay, so that's just you, me. How am I doing and how do I evaluate how I'm becoming more or less like Jesus in these new rhythms? Now, I want to go to a different level. I want to talk about us as a local church. There are two key ideas that have had huge influence over us for a long time. We call it common faithfulness and unique calling. And now I'm talking church-wide. Acts 2, in my opinion, is the most famous and fundamental description of common faithfulness. What every single church on earth, no matter denomination, cultural expression, size, has to do. It's the blueprint. Let me just read it again. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and, and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts and, and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Teaching, community, communion, prayer, the presence of God, giving, loving the poor, large gathering, small gathering, baptism, evangelism. All of this is what every church is supposed to do in different ways. The other side of common faithfulness is, again, what I already read, the last words of Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go make people who follow Christ from every ethnic group, all nations. That's common faithfulness. We, that never changes. Now, beyond common faithfulness, sometimes out of holy listening, God gives vision. And we've come to believe here at Sanctus that Jesus does sometimes choose to uniquely speak to congregations or movements. We see this like we did in the book of Revelation. Remember, we just studied that. And, and remember, Jesus showed up and he had one conversation with the church at Sardis and another one in Philadelphia, another one at Smyrna and Ephesus and so on. He had unique things to say to certain churches. And the scriptures are full of churches and leaders and movements being issued God-given assignments. So think about it like this. The mission is assigned to everyone and that can't change. But specific calling sometimes is given. Moses, go do this. Paul, go do that. Philip, go there. When we were fasting and praying, the Spirit said this. Now, in those moments, if, not when, if God speaks, then that can become the place where vision comes from. Now, again, this implies, of course, being open, learning to listen through spiritual disciplines, presumes empowering people with their spiritual gift mix to discern what's from God, what's human, what's the devil, and like we say, whatever you ate last night, tacos, butter, chicken, or swish chalet. The point is, mission... Acts 2, Matthew 28, common faithfulness, making disciples, never changes in any single environment and never in any season. Visions are God-given, and by the way, they're only for a season. They're like bread. On a shelf, they have shelf, they have shelf lives. And they'll be replaced by new ones. And strategies, which is important, we all hear this, we've taught this for years, but this really matters in this moment. Strategies support vision and mission for that moment 
and they can change at any time. Now, of course, when vision is given, it has to be in alignment, of course, with, with the scriptures and orthodox theology, but visions do draw lines of size and emphasis and calling. They actually help us say more no than yes. And they do force communities to stay or leave. And, and vision with plans don't allow vacuums or presuppositions or wonderings. And sometimes churches turn on each other by mistake, by just not working out expectations. But this is how this helps. Now, if you've been around Sanctus for a while, what we have historically called our God-given vision, you could call it a strategic vision, or maybe even a better way to say it is a God-given promise. It's like this, to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. We, by the way, again, uh, not for today, but we just didn't pick 10,000 because we wanted to be big. We don't necessarily believe big is better or, or let's be more famous. The whole story was tested over multiple elders boards for years. And, and he did speak, but not just a number. Notice it's holistic and it's in Jesus' name. But actually what I'm going to say next I think is the most significant thing we need to hear as a church in this moment. You, you could say this is the most important emphasis of our calling or, or our preferred future. Maybe you can call this, I've called it like this in our past, our flavor, our picture. Maybe you want to call it our cultural vision of what we are becoming and what we want to become more and more. This is what we want to as a church look like and feel like on the ground long term. And it comes out of Acts 12 and Acts 13. Right at the end of Acts 12, verse 26, it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Okay, and then it's the next group of verses that I've loved for years. In the church in Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers. And here's their names. You had Barnabas and Simon called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Mannion who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, I just want you to see the revolutionary power of the gospel. Many of you have heard this before, but you got to keep hearing it. I need to keep hearing it. You got Jews <laughs> and Greeks and Romans meeting in church for a year and not just meeting, leading the church together. This was unseen anywhere. And again, I'm just going to slow down and do this. Look at the list. You got Saul and Barnabas, who of course are Orthodox Jews who follow Jesus. And then you got a guy named Simon called Niger, who is, uh, and Niger is a Latin title because of his skin color. So he is African in descent. And then Lucius is a very common uh, Roman name, but Cyrene is modern day Libya. So he's North African. And then you got Mannion, and this is still blows my mind, who's the foster brother of Herod. And that Herod in the Bible is the guy from the Christmas story, the one the wise men talked to. He's the one who ordered the killing of all the kids and also is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. So you've got his best friend slash foster brother. They grew up together and now he's a leader in the church. People from all backgrounds, right? Jews, non-Jews, African, North African, Roman, Greek, the list goes on. God, through the work of his son and the presence of the spirit, is bringing people together that would never be together socially, let alone religiously. And all of them were brought together to the throne room of God as they worship in spirit and truth. And not only do they do community together, they actually even lead the church together. This is what we have been, we are, and will continue to work towards. Why? Well, because this is how it all ends, everyone. I mean, this is the end goal. What does the church look like in the new heavens and the new earth? Revelation 7, 9, 
After this, as is John saying, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and the Lamb. And together they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And then if you keep reading, they break it in this incredible song. So since this is going to be our forever, we have to work for the not yet to come more and more in the now. It's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray all the time, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is working up in heaven. We'll keep reading because I love this. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now, worshiping, I've shared this before, has real punch. It's in the Greek version of the Old Testament. This word is almost exclusively used for priests who worked in the temple, which, by the way, is shocking because the temple at this moment is still functioning. So this is saying that the gathering of Jews and non-Jews who now worship Jesus to fast, to pray, to be taught, and speak utterances of the Holy Spirit is the same type of priestly work that used to happen in the temple and is in the new temple. Why? Well, because the church is the new temple. We are the temple of God. And in this case, the Holy Spirit speaks and acts in this temple. And through the spiritual gift of prophecy, as they are fasting and praying spiritual disciplines, the Holy Spirit tells the community the will of Jesus, who is the what? Head of the church. And Jesus calls out Barnabas and Saul, the two most eminent and gifted leaders in that local church, and says, I want your two best thinkers, your two best preachers, your two most anointed, and I want them to leave. Now notice, where does the prompting happen? During a time of fasting and praying. So Sanctus, I just I want to say this again. If spiritual gifts, right, are the only ongoing place of power to serve from, and spiritual practices are the ongoing place to be transformed, something else is happening too. Spiritual disciplines is also the environment that clears the ground to provide the space so we get to hear what Jesus wants and to get permission and keep in step with the Spirit. So as Jesus was led exclusively by the Spirit to use spiritual gifts to minister and spiritual disciplines to listen to what his Father wanted, so local churches are called to imitate this and have the same posture of Jesus. By the way, again, if you're new to us, this is why we want to encourage you to listen to that spiritual gift series or that spiritual discipline series or the book we sell, Convergence, here, because it summarizes in depth sort of this bias we've got here. This is what makes us a little different than a lot of the other churches maybe you have history with. And if you have no history, it's still going to help you. So let me put it like this, maybe. Antioch is our archetype, our flavor, our cultural vision, strong teaching, a place of influence for the kingdom in its own region and beyond, unashamedly. Spiritual disciplines, yep. Mutual submission, yep. Totally a strong leadership, yep. Growing in cultural diversity, yes. Spiritual gifts at the center of serving. Sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. Prompting and planning. The staying and going of leaders as the Spirit moves. We talked about this last week. This should be normal. This is the type of church God has been making us, is making us, and we will continue to be made into. This is our God-given flavor, rooted in the calling of the Father, the work of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, <laughs> some of you are saying, John, why are you sharing this again? Well, the last two and a half plus years have been pretty wild. And I think we all have fog. And we're all tired and exhausted. And at the same time, we're all distracted. I think all of us are like, man, if I get to travel, I want to travel. If I got a cottage, I want to get there quick. Right? This is not top of mind. 
as one people, as a group of leaders used to say, vision leaks. And that's at the best of times. So in the busyness of life, as new rhythms are forming, right, as we've got this new access and at home and not at home, we just need to ask the question, do I still know this, believe this, and I'm willing to participate? We, we need to have a vivid picture painted again because of where we're still called to go. So let me do it like this. Last week, sort of outlined expectations for the church in this season, in this moment of what we should expect and what God's going to do. Next week, we're going to talk about how this really actually looks and feels on the ground, connected to strategy and planning and all of that. But in this moment, whether you've been with Sanctus Church since Steeple Hill, or you've just joined us or somewhere in between, these questions, though very familiar, are incredibly important. So a personal question to you and also to me. How are you really doing in this new cultural moment with being covered in the dust of Jesus? I mean, just honestly ask, would you this week? Are the environments the Bible say that teaches are non-negotiable? Are they found in your new virtual digital experience? <laughs> are they even priority in your new rhythms? Or have many of them been lost? If you want to be like Jesus, you want to think like Jesus, you want to act like Jesus. In other words, you want to become a fully devoted follower, disciple of Jesus. If you want to be covered in his dust, then what I preached in 2019 or 2017 hasn't changed in 2022. To be, to act, to think, to be covered in the dust of Jesus means you have to be around him. And to be around him means there are environments you have to make a priority. So one of the most significant things we could all do in this rebuilding moment, and it's a personal thing, is really seriously commit to making some of these environments priority again and fighting for it. And not just for you. Let me just say this. For your kids, if you got them, or a spouse, or, or a neighbor, or a friend, like, we have to encourage people back to these environments. Here's the second thing. Are you praying for our common faithfulness. I mean, are you praying that we would still continue to be Acts 2 and Matthew 28 and all, like, have you just stopped engaging God on that? And also, are you praying for, fighting for, giving towards, thinking through our ongoing flavor, picture, future, that Acts 12, Acts 13 moment? I just want to say again, like, Acts 13 is an unbelievable picture of unity and power, and beauty. It's profoundly attractive, and it's the opposite of what we see a lot in our world. Last thing, and I'm going to end with this. As you evaluate the environments you're called to be in, as you are now reminded, or maybe for the first time understand where we want to strategically and culturally go, I just want you, in the busyness of life, dealing with the apathy, the fear, and the new rhythms, to make a decision to commit yourself to the things of God again. I think that's it. The things of God, whether digitally expressed, physically expressed, or a mix of both, to commit yourself to the things of God. I think a lot of us have forgotten, been distracted, been overwhelmed, almost been drowned by the moment,
And there just needs to be sort of this, as we rebuild as a church, and not just a sanctus, as the church rebuilds, the best way to rebuild is when the people of God commit to the things of God and just say, yeah, I want to do those things again. So let's take a moment and pray like this. Thanks, God, um, that no matter how we're feeling, where we've been, what we're facing, you guarantee encounter. I mean, that in itself is incredible. So Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit across our church to really help people have an honest conversation about what environments they need to make priority again to be close to you and close to others. Lord, we do pray for common faithfulness to grow deeper and wider in this church. We do pray, Lord, that we'd look more and more like Antioch in every single way that's described. Lord, do this thing among us. Keep doing this thing. Guard this thing. Grow this thing. And lastly, Lord, we just want to say, God, some of us, maybe most of us hopefully can say, God, I want to be committed to the things that are about you. And so, yeah, we just say, yes, we're willing to walk with you again. Yes, we're willing to rebuild. Yes, we know that there are difficult and exciting days ahead, but in the middle of this, we commit to make, making uh, you, your thinking, your action, and, and where you're at, our priority in our life. So Lord, as we've prayed for a long time here, bring renewal, revival, awakening. God, do everything you've promised and give us our first love back. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen.